Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the No Huddle Podcast presented by 49ers Web Zone. This is Zane, and Al is out tonight, so we have a special guest host for you. He's covered the 49ers for KNBR.com. He's also done work with the Browns and even shows his versatility in covering the Golden State Warriors. He is Mr. Kevin Jones. Kevin, how you doing? Wow, Zane, I need you as my agent right now. Appreciate the intro. <laughs> I got you, man. Man, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on the call with Smithy. I know, I know it's just pretty, pretty busy around this time of year with the Warriors and everything coming on, but appreciate you being here. Oh, for sure, man. WebZone was great to me in my time in the Bay. and. Um, definitely drew, drew a lot of traffic, gave me some legitimacy. So I'm down to help you guys out anytime. Much appreciated, man. Much appreciated. So just to start off, I kind of want to talk about Dwight Clark day and he meant so much to the 49ers and continues to mean so much to the 49ers and their legacy. And obviously with his ALS diagnosis and, and the unfortunate declining of his health, you know, I was, I was just shocked to see like how, how much he's changed in the last six months, but just to see him at Levi Stadium in front of all of those adoring fans and, and those championship players that all came to see him, it was, it was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah, it takes a lot to bring those alumni together. I mean, they're just all so famous and have their own thing going on now. I don't even think for alumni weekend, the turnout was like this for what it was for Dwight Clark. ALS, very scary disease. I, I hate to say this. This was like a last hoorah for Dwight Clark. I think the most noticeable thing was his voice. I mean, you have struggled just communicating now your, your body breaks down. I relate to this in a different way. I had a terminally ill parent. My dad was sick for three years. So I really feel for Dwight Clark's family. It's not just what he's going through. There's a lot of tough days that, you know, that was a special day Sunday and you know, everyone was emotional, but there's a lot of dark days too. And the family has to go through. So I'm really thinking of them and this 49ers thing. It's something special. Like I, I didn't grow up in the Bay area. I grew up a Redskins fan, and it's it's stronger than that. The alumni, the fraternity, what you guys have here. So it was cool to see that on display, even though for somber purposes. Yeah, and and I agree. You know, I I also had a terminally ill parent, and it's it's tough. It's tough to see a person that you have seen for such a long time decline like that. But I will say that it was it was just such a great overall feeling to have. You know, it's it's like kind of like that that Camelot feeling that that Bill Wallace and Joe Montana and Eddie Bartle used to talk about, and it was just it was just kind of cool to to have that one more time. And I, I was listening to Dwight Clark today on the radio. Actually, he was he actually came on and did about a, a twelve minute interview this morning. And you know, he he was in good spirits. He was cracking jokes, and and he was talking about going to the beach and appreciating just just being there and watching sunsets and things like that. And it was hard not to get a little choked up because he was, it just kind of puts things into perspective. Like we get so busy with our own lives and, and what we do. And, and we don't realize the the little things that, that we can't, that we take for granted that we may not be able to do one day. So it was cool to see, to see Dwight. It was cool to, to hear him talk. And, and I think that he's really like his, his catch changed two teams histories forever and changed the league forever. Cause after that, that's everybody knows that set off the 49ers dynasty of the eighties and nineties. And it basically killed that Cowboys dynasty of, of the seventies. The so it's, it's kind of one of those watershed moments that, that history will always mark. And, you, and it was you make so such a good point. 
Yeah. You make such a good point because if that catch doesn't happen, you are the 49ers of dynasty. You know, do the Cowboys go on? Are the, the drafts are different? So many things could have played out. I'll say this about Dwight Clark, fearless. Death is inevitable for us all. It's literally on his doorstep, but, and you know, he could lay in bed all day. He could really do that. A lot of people with ALS, they don't know how to handle it mentally. I mean, it's really hard to process. He knows his time is up, but he's embracing it so well. Like you said, I barely know the guy. I'm getting chills every time I, I hear him speak. I don't really have a strong relationship with the 49ers. It transcends that. It's football. It's understanding this guy, what he meant to a community, to an NFL team, to a bunch of people for so many years. And, and that's what the NFL does. That's why it's such a great sport. And people will say it's in decline, but there's figures and moments like this that bring us all together. And it's, and Dwight Clark is a perfect example. Yeah. And he was, he was a great player too. Like he was, he got, he had a couple all pros as well. It wasn't just that catch. He was, he was also a really good player otherwise too. So um, kudos to the 49ers for doing that, for, for setting that up and, and really, really well done for them. So switching gears a little bit to actually what happened on the field, which wasn't as pleasant today. Well, Sunday was the first time I could probably say that they were completely out of it. Like I had no hope that they'd be able to actually come back and win. Like it was such a sloppy game. And for four quarters, they just got beat up on both sides of the ball. And it was the first time all season that we saw this team. I don't want to say quit, but it's the first time that we saw them really get, get it handed to them. To me, the defense has overachieved this year, so they were due a bad game against an amazing Dallas offense. I guess my problem with the 0-7 49ers is I, I thought Kyle Shanahan was going to be able to win games with his scoring. I didn't realize that it was going to be this chaotic on offense. Offensive line was the biggest issue to me against Dallas, but you know it's something every week. And the Trent Taylor fumble and... The penalties from Rashard Robinson, and you're just not getting splash plays all the time. I mean, you had one from Reuben Foster there. You're just, it's, it's, it looks a lot like Chip Kelly. It's sad that it does, but it, it hadn't in previous weeks. It did Sunday. It's troubling. This team's 0-7, same as the Cleveland Browns. Progress is not in the win-loss total. It's been on film, but it hasn't shown the win-loss. And after a while, it just... It, it gets old. I mean, I was having trouble watching the game in the fourth quarter. They were not watchable. Yeah, and, and do you kind of get the feeling that the with a lot of young guys on the team and, and our friend Matt Mayoko, he, he actually had a stat where the combined snaps from all of the rookies on Sunday for the 49ers were up over 400, 450 snaps. So you had a lot of rookies playing most of the game. Do you feel like a lot of those young guys kind of bought into the fact that they were that they were so close so many weeks in a row that they were almost there and they kind of took it for granted? I think Dallas just came out and kicked their ass, number one. Dallas is a team that could go to the Super Bowl if things fall their way. Dak protects the football. Zeke is so patient. Their O-line was just mauling, getting to the second and third level of the defense there. Reuben Foster was muted. He was also playing hurt. So Dallas deserves credit, but this, this to me goes to an issue here of the six-year contracts. They have a lot of time and leeway here, but if they go 1-15, 2-14, and then next year they go 4-12, and the clock is going to be starting to tick because at the end of the day, the Rams have turned around in one year with Sean McVay. Um, you've seen the Bills with uh, a first-year head coach here. They look like a much better team. Doug Peterson has gone in there with Philadelphia and turned them around. So, I mean, there's just hires around the league where 
people are turning teams around. And I get that the roster was completely exploded, but you do have some good players on here. But I, I said it all along. They were never going to be able to win with the cornerbacks they have, kind of with the quarterback play. The cards have been stacked against them, Zane. So, really, they've owned transparency. They're going to have to be transparent in the offseason and say, what the hell happened? Yeah, and, and I agree with you when you say that it felt like Chip Kelly. And it, it really did. It, it literally felt like the last two years, this last game. And maybe it's because I hate losing to those guys. I hate when the 49ers lose to that team. But yeah. I think that on top of that, it's just they, they just weren't executing. It just it just seems like they, they weren't ready to play. And I and I I kind of get it because Navarro Bowman was traded as the first game in po- first game post Bowman and Eric Armstead, who's who's a significant contributor, at least in terms of eating out snaps. He, he's out for the season. So there are those things going on. But honestly, every team has injuries to deal with. So it's not anything new. And and good teams have depth. And that's where the 49ers have to get. You bring up an interesting point. The 49ers are probably going to be a one to two win team this year. I mean, people are also talking about them possibly going 0 and 16, but really they, they're kind of at a crossroads and they have a decision to make with regard to how they want to do this, this rebuild. And do you feel like, you know, kind of Kirk, Kirk Cousins is the solution to kind of speed up this rebuild? I'm really torn about this. And it's really even stu- uh, still too early to tell, Dane, if. Sam and Josh are coming out, the two California boy quarterbacks at UCLA and USC. But, man, I, I really am torn. What, whatever it is, they need to address it. It has, it has to be a top pick or a guy that they are going to say, this is our franchise quarterback. It can't be the one-year play at quarterback. That's the trap that teams fall into. You have to pretend to be married to a guy. Even the Browns with Kaiser right now, jerking him around has screwed up his career. They should have rode out the struggles with him, but you have Hugh Jackson in the front office desperate that they might get fired. So I think it will be a different climate in San Francisco because Shanahan and Lynch are so well-liked that they can get away with it, but they need a quarterback next year. The more I look at C.J. Beathard, it was a really nice game he had in Washington, but he holds onto the football for too long, and he, Mm -hmm. he can make throws, but he doesn't have the Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr type of fit it in tight windows, let's call a play because you can throw it 35 yards down the field. Like, we're going to use your arm as a weapon. I don't think his arm is a weapon. And ultimately, he could stay on the team as a backup and be very encouraging as a backup. He's getting great experience and could be the backup next year. And That's what the most positive thing you could take away. Yeah, and, and speaking of CJ, he, he, his first start, he played all right. I thought that he... Like you said, he held the ball too long a couple of times and, and uh, the first fumble in the red zone, he had Marquise Goodwin. He was, Marquise Goodwin was wide open, streaking across the back of the end zone. He was trying to go there, but he just, he, that, that internal clock has just got to be quicker. Like Goodwin had, he could have thrown it to the corner of the end zone and Goodwin, Goodwin could have just run under it and, and we don't have to worry about anything. So I think that he'll learn those things, but, but like you said, like he doesn't have like one physical, like one strong physical trait that you could build around. Like in baseball, we talk about like five tool guys, right? He's not, he's not like one of those guys. He's, he's got serviceable traits, but he's not really a superstar in any area. And I think that that spells kind of like a, like a backup sort of role for him. But the 49ers roster is in such flux that he, he's thrust in the starting role and, and the Brian Hoyer thing didn't work out. So they're kind of forced to go this way, but it's, it's kind of interesting. He, he, 
didn't really make any terrible mistakes with the ball, but he missed a couple of throws that good quarterbacks should make. And I'm hoping that as time goes along, he can make those throws. Like the first, the first time he touched the ball after the Trent Taylor fumble on the third down, he had George Kittle open near the sideline and he kind of overthrew him. And there's a small window that he could have fitted in there. So I, I think he has, he has to learn those things. And I think that the 49ers are probably going to be patient with them the rest of the season to at least see if they can get a backup position out of him next year. For sure. And we got to remember, this was his first start. Dallas has a good defensive line. All of a sudden here, Demarcus Lawrence, Taco Charlton, you got some guys becoming household names because they're getting pressure all the time. 49ers O-line's been up and down this year. They haven't been a disaster like that. And you see what happens when there's bad O-line play and Kyle, Han- Kyle Shanahan's scheme. You're going to run into a lot of trouble. He's still a rookie quarterback. My question to you, Zane, if they're really trying to develop C.J. Beathard and give him an actual chance, why aren't you trading for Martavis Bryant? Why aren't you getting him more weapons where you can design plays to you know, help him get more players? I, I think there's a chance here. You stockpiled a couple of draft picks. You don't want to look like you're panicking. But at the same time, Martavis Bryant, what do you have to lose? He's very cheap. If, you're, if you trust your culture in your locker room, I mean, if you're going to cut Navarro Bowman, you're that into culture. I guess maybe you're scared that – this is a bad egg. You don't want to touch him. But to me, I'm exploring trades here to try and inject life into the, this offense. Marquise Goodwin is a nice, solid piece. He's not a number two receiver in the NFL every down, every week. It's just not going to be enough. Yeah, and I've, I've seen you on Twitter. You're, you're, you're asking for that Mar- Martavis Bryant trade. And man, I'm, I'm totally with you. Like that, that just makes too much sense. I realize that he may not be like a John Lynch, quote unquote, guy. But at this point, you don't need... Boy Scouts, you need guys who can play football. Like the, the last thing I want the 49ers to do is to fall into that like Mike Nolan sort of trap where they only had Mike Nolan guys and they ended up with a roster just, that was just not working. So I just want guys that can play football. And I think that Martavis Bryant makes a lot of sense because uh, he's he, although Mike Tomlin came out today and said that he's not on the market, he, well, I mean, what, what is he supposed to say? He's, he can't say that yeah. his, you know, he can't say that <laughs> Martavis Bryant's on the market, right? So, um, the fact that he said it so sternly like that means like clearly there's issues going on and the whole public knows about it. So, hey, listen, he's jealous of Juju Schuster-Smith. Guess what? He won't have anyone to be jealous of here because they're going to need him to be the star. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Pierre's been great, and Pierre would, I'm sure, gladly welcome this too. At the same time, the 49ers might want to say, listen, let's trust our drafting. We're happy with Ruben Foster. I guess they're kind of happy with Solomon Thomas. I mean, he's not been a stud, but he's not been bad, per se. And the killer Witherspoon's on the field, Trent Taylor, George Kittle. There's guys contributing. So at the end of the day, if the 49ers don't trade for him internally, they're saying we can draft someone. But, I mean, are you going to draft a Martavis Bryant in the second, third, fourth round? You're able to trade a fourth or a fifth round pick. It's like he's that value and more. He's probably worth way more than a rookie coming in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it just makes a ton of sense, and the 49ers have assets to be able to do it. So I hope I hope they pull the trigger and just give them a look. See, it's a low risk, high reward sort of thing. And 49ers aren't going anywhere this year anyway, so he's he's definitely worth a look. But you mentioned some of the defenders like Ruben Foster, Salma Thomas, Akella Weatherspoon, and the defense. The defense really struggled on Sunday, and they struggled in pass coverage, specifically the the corners. Rashard Robinson took another penalty and. He only allowed two catches, but it seems like every single game he takes a penalty that either is is unnecessary because he's right with the guy, or just at a, an inopportune time to to extend a drive. And and 
it looks like they're going to have to address cornerback again in this in this draft in the offseason and through free agency. And uh, Kwan Williams went out with it with an injury as well. It looks like Leon Hall was signed as well. So there's a lot of turnover in the in the secondary. Yeah, I remember asking Kyle in training camp, you guys really believe Rashard Robinson is a number one corner? And it was a blunt question. I kind of put him on the spot, pressed him a little bit. I, you know, I praise him when he does well. But to me, in my evaluation, and I know how they see football, I saw in training camp, this, this was not going to work out. This was going to be a nightmare situation all the time. And granted, he's had some good games, you know. But the 49ers really believe in letting him burn his hand on the stove and then letting it heal because there's a lot of bad film out there and you have to be a resilient cornerback to get over this. Mm -hmm. I thought when Tremaine Brock was um, let go from domestic violence, that was a good move to get rid of him, especially as quickly as they did. But they just never really replaced him. They never really added another veteran in that room. You had the Doomerville to the D-line. You had Garcon, obviously, to the receiving core added a bunch of veteran O-linemen for depth, and Fusco's a starter, Gilliam's now a good backup. You just didn't touch corner. And I, I think secondary is where this team gets picked on. You're playing a Seattle scheme. You don't have Earl Thomas. You don't have Richard Sherman, all, all the pieces they have. So it's just you're putting these players in tough spots. It's not even that Richard Robinson's a bad player. It's just he's getting attacked, and there should be another veteran in the room so he's not guarding top receivers all the time. Yeah, and it seems like the the corners aren't really helped by the defensive line either. DeForest Buckner's been a, been really good this year, and he's he's played really well. And it doesn't always show up in the stats, but he's been a force. He's been pretty disruptive. I think he's second or third in the league in hurries. But they're just not they're just not getting to the quarterback. Like like you mentioned earlier, Solomon Thomas hasn't been great. He hasn't been awful, but you you expect more out of a number three overall pick. And I realize that we're half half the way through his first season in the NFL. But I mean, I, I do expect more out of him down the line, obviously, right? Like this is, this is one of those situations where you have a bunch of draft capital used on your defensive line and they're just, they're just not creating pressure. And Al and I were kind of critical of the Solomon Thomas pick. Our, our listeners can, can remember that, but it just comes down to, to drafting the same guy. And it just seems like they drafted the same guy three years in a row in the first round. Uh, with, with I, yeah, I'm with you, Zane. My problem is, and this is no disrespect to Pro Football Focus, PFF. Jeff does an amazing job too. Everyone there does. People are obsessed with pressures. They should be, but it's a problem when all of your guys are just good at getting pressure. Who is good at finishing? Who is good at getting the quarterback on the ground on second and ten? So now it's third and seventeen. And you're getting off the field. Who is pushing the defense or the offense back? And Buckner is a Pro Bowler. And he hopefully will become that guy. But they need more finishing. They need, they need a lot more finishing on defense. Some of the techniques that Richard Robinson is using, in my opinion, is off. Offenses are targeting him deep down the field because he doesn't turn his head. And if you, if you make contact and don't turn your head, it's a penalty every time. It, it, that's a common thing where people are attacking him that way. So there's some adjustments that need to be going on. There's a lot more finishing that needs to be going on on defense. That said... The reason why the 49ers have been losing so close early on in the season, I think, has been the defense has been resilient. They can make opportune plays. They're not a union, I think, that there's ever going to be on a Seattle level or what we're seeing Jacksonville at right now where they're just that good. And who knows who they draft. They're eventually going to have to draft offense. But I think they have a lot. They have some solid guys. They're lacking stars. But it looks like Buckner and Foster can be stars. 
you mentioned Ruben Foster. It was his first game back from from his injury. They suffered week one, and I thought he was I thought he was all right. Like I, he he had that huge hit on on Zeke Elliott, which was which was awesome, which was great. It was a, it was like a tone setting type of hit. But uh, you know he 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 kind of got lost in the shuffle with with the the poor play overall of the defense. Like he. He uh, almost got Elliott on the screen pass on the sideline, which the entire defense they 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 were taking really bad angles on, and he 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 was injured later on in the game. He bruised his ribs. He should be playing. Kyle Shanahan said earlier this week that that he expects Ruben Foster to play against Philadelphia, but it just it just seems like the entire defense overall is just super undisciplined right now. And the reason why I say that is because any play action fake you see, any read option that you see, you see them crashing down like crashing down on the fake Salma Thomas specifically. So every single play action fake they're they're going after the ball carrier, their safeties come in and, and the quarterback has an easy throw every read option. If the quarterback keeps it, they crash down so hard on the run that the quarterback can keep it with like Kirk cousins did uh, in the Washington game. So it, it's just, it's just kind of frustrating to see the fact that these guys are still undisciplined and they don't seem to be learning. Do they? Yeah. Repeated mistakes. You mentioned the point with Kirk cousins there. They don't run the read option a lot, but they see other teams against the 49ers who do. So what's happening to the Niners on defense is teams are just doing the same thing. So they're realizing, oh, this works against them. Let's adopt this from someone else's game plan. NFL is a copycat league. They watch a lot of film. You get a lot of ideas from other teams. That's definitely happening to them on defense. I want to stick to Ruben Foster for one second. His injury-prone thing is is a real thing to start his career you can say oh oh, come on look give him a chance but he had shoulder surgery prior to the draft that scared a lot of teams he missed parts of training camp because of that now he's missed the first five weeks with an ankle now it's ribs he is a violent football player and it, it might be crazy to think i don't know if you can count on him long term because he could be a guy that breaks down quickly because he's so violent they're going to have to teach him more of the NFL and staying healthy here and being careful with his body. He wants to deliver big hits all the time, but there's there's a right time and place and sweet spots that I think John Lynch is going to have to sit down and work with him. I think that would be a perfect mentor for him, and I, w- I would hope that they are talking a lot. Yeah, and you, you bring up the interesting point that, that he had injury concerns before the draft, which dropped him down a lot of teams' draft boards. So this is not something that, that just came up right now. And I think if he has, in my opinion, if he has another injury that takes him out for another three to four weeks, I think this should just shut him down at that point. We know what Ruben Foster can do. Obviously he needs reps to get better, but I want to see him healthy for next season. I want to see him get a full NFL off season. Like for a lot of college players, it's hard because you play a full season and then you go to the comp, like immediately after your bowl game, you're in the combine, you're training for the combine. And then immediately after that, you're, you're, trying to train for the draft and, and it's just a nonstop thing. They don't really get an off season. So I want to see him get a full off season before, before getting him back into the fold again. And I'm not opposed to the 49ers shutting him down after his next injury. I think that's a good idea, honestly, but I'm with you on the snaps too, on him getting snaps. If he is healthy, if you shut him down prematurely, like I don't think there's reasons to put him on IR, but let's, you know, let's make sure that he's completely healthy. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I want him to be good for this team. These fans deserve a linebacker when this team's been good. They've had Patrick Willis and Bowman. It, it seems to fit. I mean, they got him at 31st overall maneuvered a lot to do that. So 
we'll see with him. It sucks because he was so exciting in the preseason in the training camp when I was there and you were there. He was making interceptions. He is that kind of player, a catalyst, a game changer. Reminds me a lot of LeVar Arrington the more I watch him, like peak LeVar Arrington mm-hmm. with the Redskins, really flying around and, and tone setting, like you said. So um, they'll have to pause and see. But I'm glad they're putting Akella Witherspoon out there. It was really thought this was going to be a redshirt year for him. They realized, God, we're so bad at corner. He can't be... He's got to go out there and do a little bit. He hasn't mm-hmm. given up very many big plays, so he, he seems a little lanky and a little, you know, like abnormal for that position, maybe too long, but he's got potential, and they're trying him. So I'll give the 49ers props. It's not like they're sticking with Hoyer right now. It's not like they're still playing Vance McDonald. They got rid of a lot of people and put rookies in their place. Right, and it's it's a lot of it is they have specific schemes that they want to run, and and they're running that Seattle style single high safety press man coverage scheme. And for you to be able to run that scheme, you've got to have corners that are a big and B physical. And these guys like a killer with one of the things, one of the knocks on him coming out of college is that he wasn't physical. He held up against Des Bryant, which, you know, Des Bryant's one of the best receivers in this league. So he held his own against Des and you need to have a center fielding safety out there like an Earl Thomas. And whether, you get that through the draft or you can sign somebody. I, I really, really think that they're going to have to have to address that. I feel like Jimmy Ward's a better corner than he is a safety. He's a really good, he's a pretty good, uh, pretty good free safety. I feel like he's a better corner, but he's not that center fielder type of safety that you can have single high back there. That's basically a center fielder. So yeah, right, right now, Zane, I don't trust their judgment on secondary. If this was their real plan, moving Jimmy up there, and playing Tart right now over Eric Reed and switching Eric Reed to linebacker, I'm starting to wonder, do they know what they're talking about? They picked Solomon Thomas over Malik Hooker, who looked incredible until mm-hmm. he tore his ACL for the Colts. There's been a lot of splash rookies. Yeah, I get it. Let's give Solomon Thomas time. I'm not saying eh, he's a bust or anything. I'm just saying this regime is counting on their drafting and trading for picks, and some of their picks are not popping off immediately. So. And some of their decisions in the secondary have me saying, do they know how to evaluate secondary? Um, so those are the issues going forward with building the roster. Um, but I, I think draft has almost got to be offense this year. It's, it really has to. Your offense is a Honda Civic compared to the rest of the NFL. Like you're, just, mm-hmm. you're not able to go fast. You're not able to do things that other teams are. So at some point, you've got to invest heavy in skill positions and I almost prefer to do that in the draft instead of free agency because when a guy gets paid, things do change. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's just like you look at the guys that that went after Solomon Thomas last year: Marshawn Lattimore, Leonard Fournette, Malik Hooker. Like any any of those guys could have could have been a huge help to the 49ers at any of those positions. But but hey, I, I'm I'm totally fine. I'm I'm cool with giving Solomon like as much time as he needs. It's not that we're not ready to the 49ers aren't ready to contend anyways. So he's, he's got time, but it's, you bring up an interesting point with the draft and how the 49ers should look at skill position players. And at the top of the draft, you're going to have quarterbacks available. You'll have Rosen, you'll have Luke Falk, you'll have, uh, Jackson, you'll have, um, you'll have, uh, uh, Saquon Barkley as well. So you have all of these guys who are skill position players at the top of the draft, and you have Kirk Cousins who's going to be an impending free agent. So I'm kind of on the fence about this, but to me, like a Kirk Cousins 
free agent signing or trade or whatever it takes to get him, plus like a Barkley draft pick at the top of the draft would alleviate a lot of concerns, wouldn't it? It would. It would put you on a path to six and ten. Does it put you on a path to sustain ten and six? Because last night everyone's talking about Carson Wentz. What I saw again was Kirk Cousins didn't live up to being a, a star quarterback in a big moment in a big mm-hmm. game for the Redskins. And he's going to command Matt Stafford money. He's going to command being essentially the top paid quarterback in the league because he's just the timing is working out for him. It's like the Joe Flacco thing. And so I, I can't make my decision yet. I need to see him lead the Redskins to the playoffs and do some more things here. If he's on the decline and then he comes here and isn't that good, is it going to be like, you know, Kirk Cousins was never, a, he's never won a playoff game. The Red, and then I get it. The Redskins are always in flux too. They're lucky to be this good with him. He's brought stability. But I think you bottom out with Kirk Cousins. I, I don't think his potential is anywhere close to Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, these are the teams you're going to have to be competing with for the next five to 10 years. Are you going with Kirk and, and then just drafting defense and, and hoping to have the Seattle elite defense? Cause in a shootout, I don't know if you're going to win all the time with Kirk cousins. I just don't, I don't see a super bowl with Kirk cousins and the 49ers and Kyle. I don't. Right. And it's, it's so that kind of leaves the other option where the 49ers drafted, they draft a quarterback either early. I think they should, they should dip in early and it's been Alex Smith was the last quarterback that they drafted earlier than the uh, i believe the third round everybody after that has been after the third round so i like i like josh rosen a lot it looks like sam darnold might be staying so it looks like it's just josh josh rosen i like him a lot i think he's he's um more polished than some of the other quarterbacks and i think that he'd be a good fit for this system so you kind of have to ask yourself and 49ers fans kind of have to ask themselves are they ready for another two to four win season while this rookie gets to know the system and while they build this roster, this is a long season. Like you're going to say what you saw against Dallas, you're going to see that next season when you get another rookie, because there are very few rookies that come into this league and dominate right off the bat. So it may be another long season and everybody has to ask themselves, are they ready for that? It could be especially long if they realize, Oh crap, he's not even ready to start. And now they're, Mm -hmm. they have to, start Hoyer or Beathard or someone like of that quality, but they're like, crap, if we put Rosen out now, he's really not ready. I know our fan base is dying and we're dying to go, but we could screw his career up. So this, again, the six-year contract here, I think Kyle and John Lynch laid out every quarterback scenario, and I think they probably talk about it once a month. Hey, where, if the season ended today, what will we do? What, what is our gut feeling? And they already have the scouts with Adam Peters out looking at the quarterbacks. Josh Rosen, I like him. He has that ability with the arm talent to fit it in tight windows. He's also wild, and he's done some crazy interviews for a kid uh, that age. Um, it's it's going to be a gamble. It's going to be a test of his personality. I think the arm is there. It's whether or not they believe he can handle it. And you got to think, Kyle has seen Johnny Manziel. He's seen RG3. He knows personality types as well as he does um, arms at this point. Interviewing 22-year-olds for the last 15 years, you get to develop a relationship with someone even real quickly. You can tell, so it'll be a lot on that. Um, I don't, I wouldn't believe that report about Donald yet. I don't, I don't know if going back to USC benefits him. I don't think they're a well-coached team. So we'll see. I, I think it, he should jump to the NFL again, though. The Browns have the number one overall pick. There's a lot of people saying quarterbacks are not going to want to go there. 
mm-hmm. they're going to pull an Eli Manning, they're going to pull what John Elway did back in the day and just say, listen, I don't want to ruin my career. So, mm-hmm. which would be so stunning and heartbreaking. And then you might be talking about them like moving from Cleveland if they can't even yeah. land a player in the trap. <laughs> I mean, they might have to restart. <laughs> yeah, have to, be, have to hit the reboot button. Yeah, and and you know you know what the Browns the Browns need to win a couple games. That's what they need to do. They they almost won this past week against Tennessee. They need to win a couple games. The Niners need to win like one game, and then and then we don't have to talk about it anymore, right? Because the Niners have the number one pick. Exactly, and they don't have to think about this trade or that. It's they are sitting in the driver's seat. But what's awkward is John Lynch all season was like, or all off season he was he was saying, you hate having. You hate being two and fourteen, but you love having the number two overall pick. And he was kind of blaming Chip Kelly and Trent Baalke for the mess that he's inherited. Mm-hmm. When okay, he got to try and sort a whole mess out here, add a bunch of veterans. Guess what? The mess was worse when you tried to do this. So mm-hmm. um, I think the Forty ers do want to win some games. To be honest, if they're picking number one overall, I think they would be embarrassed by it. I think Kyle and John Lynch are that competitive where they actually think they can try and go, you know, four and twelve, five and eleven here add some respectability, carry some momentum into the second half of the season. I really don't think they're tanking. They're both, they both hate losing. Like their blood boils and they, they feel like their colleagues are better than them. So I I don't think that those two are tanking, but you know, it's a nice factor when you're, you're playing close some close games early on. Um, Yeah. I'm all over the place. My bad. Yeah. No, no, you're good. Uh, The, the, the elegant tank, right? That's what, that's what they call it. I believe it's the, the elegant <laughs> tank, <laughs> and and they. I feel like they they when they build when they rebuild this roster when they continue to rebuild it, they need to surround whoever the quarterback is with with playmakers. And I know that sounds like a really simple concept, but the last time they drafted the quarterback for in the first round, they didn't do that, and was was really a really really bad team. And if you look at any of these rookie quarterbacks or second year quarterbacks that are doing really well. Every single one of them has at least one marquee player on offense with them. You look at the Rams with Jared Goff. He's got Todd Gurley. Carson Wentz has, I mean, you can say that Carson Wentz has a great coaching staff. Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, like they know, they know exactly what they're doing up there. Uh, you look at Deshaun Watson. He's got DeAndre Hopkins, who's a top five wide receiver. So you look at all of these guys and, and, and even Mitch Trubisky, like even though he's not doing a lot, he... He has Jordan Howard at running back, and he's he's winning games. So you need at least one marquee player to help you on offense. And I feel like whether, like you said earlier, that's Martavis Bryant, that could be him, or it's a guy through the draft or a free agent. I think that they have to they have to get that guy next year when they get the quarterback. So those that's two, why, those, yeah, no, Zane, that's why your theory of Saquon Barkley and Kirk Cousins makes a lot of sense because it immediately brings you from one and fifteen to probably. Six and ten, seven and nine. I mean, you're going to be able to, in those close games, probably win a lot more of those. And you're thinking if we can play better defense, you're two in the in the scheme. But the way Kyle thinks, I kind of know him some. Like, if he doesn't believe Kirk can win them a Super Bowl, they're not going to get him. That will be the reason. It will be they didn't think that he was good enough to take them to the promised land, and they can get someone better. I think Kyle almost has to be looking at some of the college shape, not now, but maybe in bite sizes, because he needs to start thinking about this. One thing about his QB evaluations is he doesn't like pro-style quarterbacks, or he he only likes pro-style quarterbacks, excuse me. C.J. Beathard, Kirk Cousins, he wanted to draft Tom Savage in Cleveland while I was there. He thought that would have been a good fit for his offense. He likes 
those types of quarterbacks. Matt Ryan, he had so much success with Matt Schaub with the Texans. So um, I don't think you'll be getting an exciting mobile quarterback at all. He's been there and done that. It won't be Lamar Jackson. There'll be a process of elimination here. Um, and he just doesn't like the spread system. It's very hard to evaluate a quarterback. That's why they didn't pick Trubisky. Yeah, and and speaking of Mitch Trubisky, man, I, I have to a uh, little, little bit off off the 49ers and more on the NFL. Like I, I have to see what you think about this. Like the the NFL, the quality of play, man, it's just it's just so bad. And we had seven teams, seven teams this weekend that failed to score an offensive touchdown, and two of them won a game. The Titans and and the Bears both won won football games without scoring an offensive touchdown, and it's just it's just really hard to watch. And ratings are down and all that stuff. And I don't, I honestly, I don't think it's because of anthem protests. I think it's because the quality of play on the field. And on top of that, you you compound that with the quality of officiating and how it takes forever to review a play, and they're missing calls. And the end of that Raiders game, there were like seven penalties at the end of the game, and it's just it's just really hard to watch right now. All right, my argument for this. Football has always been this way, but now that we watch Red Zone, now that we play fantasy football, that we're in a highlight era and with a lot of receivers and, and big passing plays, when we don't get that, we're disappointed. We're like, this is like baseball. I'm bored right now. Listen, football has its ebbs and flows. There's going to be ugly games, defensive games. There's going to be offensive geniuses. One year, the Super Bowl winning team is going to have the best defense. The next is going to be the best offense. Like, it, it changes all the time. That's what I love about football. It's always changing. So I get it. Like it's, e- it's easy to criticize right now because it's been on top for 15 years and the way we watch it has changed so much, but it's, it's hard. Um, I mean, it's, it's still the number one sport, man. I mean, it, it will be to me for a little while. I cover the NBA. The NBA is definitely on the right direction. They're trending upwards. Their sport is so much better online. The conversation online about it is better. So the NFL can improve its product. But listen, the NFL is flexible. They move the extra point back. They'll change things. The game is a lot safer. There used to be a segment called Jacked Up. We used to celebrate people getting concussions. Mm -hmm. The culture has changed. Now when someone gets a concussion, it's a big deal. It's keep them off the field. Let's make sure they're healthy. So I think the NFL is easy to attack. It's a very easy target. It's a billion-dollar corporation run by a bunch of greedy billionaires, and they control us. They own the day of the week. But I still think it's a great product. I still think the storylines are compelling. And how we started the phone call about Dwight Clark, it has so many figures that are going to bind us together. We feel a common bond for it. And I think the NFL more than others because it's like a city, community, passionate pride about your football team. Even with fantasy, even above that, you you ride with your team. The NFL did that first; they created it all. Yeah, I like that. You know, I like that. Alan, I Alan, I agree way too much. I think I think this is a nice, a welcome addition, definitely to the to the show. Uh, you know, you know, we're on we're on opposite sides, and I think that that's a good thing, though, because that uh, honestly, for me, I want to see the best football being played all the time. And I know that's not reasonable because teams will have off days and things like that. But I under, I totally understand what you're saying, and and I get it, and. When you put it that way, it, it does make sense that we are in a immediate results sort of society where we want we want our food ordered on our phones and we want uh, our on demand TV and we want all this stuff, right? Like it's 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 the same game that it always was, and and you do make a good point. So um, you know, I, I I'm definitely definitely closer to agreeing with you on that. 
now now that you I mean, know i kind of heard yeah to me it's like saying society has changed like football has obviously changed but the lens of which we do sports and athletes and criticism and you know what i mean like this was a terrible game when you know what i mean like we we're not even watching it. We're looking at our phone the whole time. We're like trying to figure out what everyone's saying about it. So just the viewing experience of everything's changed. Journalism has changed so much. I mean, I got into the field in 2012. Twitter was, you know, still, it was getting big, but it's everything now. I feel like people weren't even reading my full articles at KMBR. Like Twitter was more important to get information there. So just the way we see everything and get our information and like, it, it, to me, it's bigger than, than football because the product to me is, is the same. There's ebbs and flows, there's ups and downs, there's stars and everything. So, uh, But listen, I work in an NFL building. I saw it differently. I have friends in the league. I will admit I'm biased towards this because I think football has done good for so many people. And the fact that people think it's going to go away is laughable because even people like me who are just close to the game, like it it's a purpose to live. It's so fun. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm of that same mindset that it's, it's not going to go away. Like, it's just, it's just way too, like you're looking at like basically modern day gladiators just going at it. Like there's nothing else like that in, in any sport in any country, there's nothing else like that. So I, I don't think it's going to go away. So Kevin, let's talk about 49ers game balls. It's going to be, Really difficult this week to pick out one guy who kind of stood out. Um, it was pretty much a wash for the entire game. And we can definitely say that nobody on the defense is going to get a game ball because they gave up 40 points. So I'd have to say, you know, my game ball, I'm going to give it to Carlos Hyde. He seemed like the only guy that really cared throughout the entire game. He had a few good runs. Um, you know, he's on pace for a thousand yards this season. He's catching the ball out of the backfield, so he he's running with physicality and he's running angry. So Carlos Hyde is going to get my game ball. Dane, I think there's only one game ball to give this week. It's to Dwight Clark. It's not a traditional game ball. It wasn't a traditional game. Mm-hmm. He it, it, the day was about him and the 49ers fans that went. Hopefully, forget about the score, or whatever. It was the worst game in the Kyle Shanahan era, but it was. At last, too raw for a legend of the community of the NFL stratosphere. I mean, this guy—I did not grow up really knowing much about him besides the catch. To come in here to the Bay Area and just see the impact he's had—I have the chills talking about him right now. And it was—it was one of those days where the memory was was Dwight Clark, and that's the way it should be. Love it. I absolutely love that, and I couldn't agree with you more. He's just such a prominent figure, and I was watching the America's Game of the, ni- the 1981 team. And he's actually narrating it. He's helping narrate that. And just to see how he, how he tells stories and just to like, you know, he's got that like aw shuck sort of Southern demeanor. Like he just, just a really smooth guy, like a really cool guy. If you hear him talk. Yeah. And you and I have been through it. So prayers to his family because it's going to be tough days coming up, but it, but it was really nice that they could do that. And so many people showed up when you have Joe Montana, Jerry Rice in, in the building at the same time you know it's something very special. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kevin, why don't you tell the uh, fans where they can find you on Twitter and uh, about your podcast? Yeah, man, just Mr. Underscore Kevin Jones because I have the most common name ever. Thank you, Mom and Dad. <laughs> it was just like a Visa commercial. My name was on the credit card. Like, not, <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm, I'm John Doe. Uh, this is, yeah, so Mr. Underscore Kevin Jones. 
uh, yeah, taking a lot of interviews places, man. It's going to be exciting to see where I land next. So re- really uh, looking forward to it. Awesome stuff. Thanks. Thanks so much, Kevin. And is that time of show? We're going to wrap it up and we miss Al. Hopefully uh, he comes back soon. And thank you so much again to Kevin Jones. This is Zane Nackvi, and this was the No Huddle Podcast presented by 49ers Web Zone. Take care.